Welcome to the prolific teaching ministry of Pastor Emmanuel Iren, lead pastor of Celebration Church International. It is his vision to partner with you for your progress and joy in the faith. Ready, set, grow. Hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. Well, this is the camp meeting you prayed about. Hallelujah. This is the camp meeting you prayed about. I, I, I discern that you're ready, right? <laughs> Hallelujah. So this is, this is what you need to understand. A camp meeting is like like a wristband made of many beads. Each program representing each bead. And for the design to be complete, for the purpose to be accomplished, you have to present yourself for all. The programs have been designed on purpose to set you on course. You see, like I said, Starting the camp meeting in Port Harcourt, which, by the way, was... <laughs> like I said, there has to be a balance of expectations between what God has in store and what you expect. You see, that's one of the principles of sp spiritual growth. When we come to the Word, our desires are realigned. Our priorities are realigned. Because in the word of God, you discover the priorities of God. And to the natural man, he says, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. Not just that, he says, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. My ways are higher than your ways. God's expectations, God's preparation for you are bigger than what you think. So, like I said, Saul's father whose name was Kish, he lost his donkeys. The donkeys just strayed away from the house one day. And he sent Saul, his son, to go and look for the donkeys. And so Saul went, looking for donkeys, went with the servant. And they went from city to city. They didn't find the donkey. Eventually, they went so far. And Saul said, you know what, let's just go home. Let's give up. This is becoming pointless. If we don't go home now, our dad will quit worrying about donkeys and start worrying about us. And the servant said, let's try something. Why in this city, we can as well see a prophet. There's a prophet, a great prophet. He's a seer. And he can tell us where the donkeys are. And so they went. Little did they know that the day before, God had spoken to the prophet and said, there is a man coming. But he didn't say the man is coming to find his donkeys. He says, the man is coming and when you see him, you will anoint him king. This is so important. He says, when you see him, you will anoint him king. So Saul came for donkeys. Donkeys, metaphorically, for some of you might represent maybe a healing, you're seeking, you know, direction in your life, you know, something, a breakthrough for your family or whatever. 
So you came here with expectations. You're seeking donkeys. And God is seeking to make you king. And so when Saul came, the prophet looked at him and said, follow me. Let's go and have lunch. You're going to spend the night. And I will tell you all that is in your heart. And he said, oh, by the way. Oh, by the way, your donkeys have been found. Listen, the, 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 the requests that you have, the burning desires of your heart, God says, oh, by the way. <laughs> this is what it means. God is going to solve them cheaply so that you can focus on bigger things. God is going to solve them cheaply. Do you believe that? So, maybe you came here, you know, for one need or another. But something bigger is calling you. Destiny is calling you. God wants to reveal his plan for your life. God is raising an army. He's trying to enlist you. He's luring you to discern his plan. To be equipped so that you can function in his plan. So, I want to give you... A challenge and that's a challenge of focus focus on weightier matters focus on weightier matters you know I did a series in Port Harcourt. I'm starting a new series here and the series I'm starting here I have titled it true impact true impact and this is what I mean God is preparing us for posterity and effectiveness. See, you have to be a good student of history and to reckon. Many times we get carried away by our achievements. It takes a good student of history to know that there is nothing new under the sun. And many times the things that you are overwhelmed, you know, rejoicing about, someone has done more. And you have to learn from the mistakes of others, the errors of others. That you can do something so great in the eyes of men and it won't last. And it might even appear to endure in the sight of men. But God says in his word, he says there are different vessels describing metaphorically the ministerial contributions of people. He says some, some vessels of honor, it talks about you know, gold, silver, and some hay and stubble. And guess what? Everyone's work will pass through fire. Just imagine, gold passes through fire, it's going to come out even more shiny, refined. But hay also has to pass through fire. And it can all be lost. So God wants to realign us. Because effectiveness in Christianity is usually not about going the popular way. It is going the God way, the Bible way. To look into the word of God and to say, you know, what has God said in his word? What has he revealed to be his will? And that's why we're here. And that's why I've titled it True Impact. The Potakot Church is younger so we could do something more fundamental. But you see, people who have experienced some measure of growth like you, I've labored with you two years. I was here. So, some of you without knowing 
might have your knowledge as your biggest problem. Turn your Bibles, Matthew 23, 23. Matthew 23, 23. You see, this is a type of sermon you only choose to preach by obedience. You know, because, you know, um, for a camp meeting like this, there are things that are maybe more scaring. But you need this one. Read Matthew 23, 23 together. One, two, go. Now, this is so powerful. He says, woe unto you, Pharisees. He called them hypocrites. He called them hypocrites. And guess what? What they were doing was the right thing, but they were hypocritical about it. How do I know what they were doing was the right thing? He says, this you ought to have done and not to have left the other undone. He says, you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have omitted the weightier matters of the law. Can you say weightier matters of the law? And he begins to mention them. Judgment, mercy, and faith. You see, one of the things I realized recently, you know, I've always known it, but um, it became even more profound as a reality, is that you can be so full of knowledge and yet so foolish. I'm going to explain what I mean. You're like, what kind of statement is that? But it's true. You see, Being foolish is not lacking knowledge. It is lacking judgment. A foolish person does not make the right judgments, does not make the right choices. He might have information, but he makes the wrong judgment. And so, these guys called the Jews, their problem was not ignorance. I mean, he's talking to Pharisees here. Pharisees memorized the Torah. Memorized the Torah? And yet, they didn't know God. They had made the word of God of non-effect by their tradition. Let me tell you this. Maybe you speed read these things and you don't realize how serious this is. The Bible gives us an example. In John chapter 5, the Bible tells us about a man who was by the pool of Bethesda for almost four decades. Think about that. Do you know how long that is? And one day Jesus walks to him and said, well, will you be made whole? Oh, I said, I have no man. You know the story. Oh, when the pool is dead, before I jump in, someone else jumps in before me. Now, that's not what I asked you. <laughs> Will you be made whole? Well, Jesus says, take up your bed and go home. And what a great miracle. Just imagine you were there. Someone, just like one of the testimonies we got yesterday, a lady had been bedwetting 22 years. Oh. Listen, we're going to make a mess of the devil in this camp meeting. Did you hear what I said? Yes, sir. 
when you hear things like that, you know, on one hand, I'm so grateful. On the other hand, I'm saying the devil is wicked. We Listen, you have to demonstrate the power of God in this life. People are depending on it. People are suffering. 22 years. Every day. Two weeks ago, another lady who had been having severe anemia, you know, she had done operations. I'm talking about a severe bleeding issue. And she was tuned in online, like some of you tuned in now. And then the word of knowledge came and she was healed on the spot. So she sent me um, a voice note in my DM crying. Hallelujah. You will cry tears of joy in this capital. You will. See, you, 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 you will mess yourself up. <laughs> Hallelujah. But think about it. That guy, almost 40 years by that pool, he couldn't help. He had, you know, that's a long time. And then someone, a stranger, walks up to him and says, Take your bed. Rise up and walk. He's going home. Now, what do you think? How do you think the people will react? You know, you expect them to lose their minds. That, wow, you're walking. Do you know what they said? They said, why are you carrying your bed on the Sabbath? Do you know how sold and ignorant you have to be? In your religious calisthenics to see someone who for several decades could not walk and he's walking and your concern is that he's carrying his bed on the Sabbath I mean those were the kind of minds Jesus was dealing with hallelujah heads full of knowledge but no wisdom and you know there's a difference I mean because the proof, what really counts is the application of knowledge, and that's what is wisdom. So, in a camp meeting like this, you already know if you've been attending camp meetings, I will always start the first night, you know, preaching about the gospel. And if you're not careful, somewhere in your mind, you just say, well, I know it. I've heard it before. Okay, here we go again. And that's one, of, one, one big problem in the body of Christ. You know what I've discovered? Many people don't know it. Because if you know it, it will show in how you treat people. So, um, there are two things that people in the body of Christ need to learn about grace. <laughs> they need to have a better personal appreciation of it. And then they need to reciprocate that grace. The second one is where we really struggle. If you don't give grace, you don't know grace. There are myriads of scriptures that prove what I'm, prove what I'm telling you. Myriads. I said, if you don't prove, if you don't give grace, you don't what? That's so important, and that's so true. <laughs> Hallelujah. So, well, that's what we're going to talk about today. Turn your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. 
a text you know very well. It says, for by grace are you saved. Say, for by grace I'm saved. Through faith. It says, for by grace are you saved. Through faith. That not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. It is the gift of God. A generous, lavish gift. You know what? You, you say, oh, thank you for the gift. But can I tell you something honestly about gifts? You only appreciate gifts as much as you can discern their value. Has it ever happened to you that someone was very excited about something they wanted to buy for you? And when you saw it, you were like, thank you. About a year and a half ago, a man worshipped with us, a very wealthy man. And at the end of the service, he came to me. He said, I have to tell you, I like what you're wearing. Oh, I said, thank you very much, sir. He said, only one problem. I don't like your wristwatch. In my mind, I said, Sim, see, well, uh. <laughs> He said, I'm going to send you one this week. Ah, you know, this is, this is a very wealthy man. So, you know, my expectations... Okay. Upper yeah. echelon. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so my expectations were high that, you know, oh my God. You know, every day I was, I was thinking, what kind of, you know. Then I was wearing one fake wristwatch Pastor K bought for me. So the, the wristwatch was so bad that the first time I saw it, I said, I have to give you a wristwatch. You know, but uh, by the way, I'm not joking. He gave me a, a fake wristwatch. Anyway, so, but pay attention now. Then the wristwatch came. And I was like, ah. You know, this is the wristwatch. This is what, you know, just black strap, you know. Simple face, black, you know, so, and me, I'm not, I'm very appreciative. Believe me, I am. <laughs> so I went home and for the first time ever, I don't talk about things like that, but I prayed over my wife, that, I, see this I don't know, what was, is this what the force was about? And then I think it was either she or someone says, if it is that man I know, this wristwatch is valuable. So, about two months later, I just wanted to check the time. I saw it. Out of curiosity, I said, let me check. Boom, 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 boom. Ah! <laughs> and then, as I was going home that day, first and foremost, I stopped wearing it anyhow. Echelon <laughs> watch. You people... I started wearing it. Then I told my wife, is it not irresponsible to have this type of... She wouldn't just sell it. And <laughs> but while I said all of that to say this, the wristwatch had a perceived value. And when I discovered how valuable it is, something changed in my appreciation. 
And listen, this is so very important when it comes to salvation. See, some of you, especially those of you who were from good homes and all of that, you just feel like, okay, I believe. I'm okay, but if you say, I need to be saved, that's fine. Let me give you an illustration. Come here, please. Thank you very much. Now, what's your name, please? Abel. Abel, thank you. Now, look at Abel is able. <laughs> oh. oh, my goodness. Uh, I, it's, it's out of my belly. It, it, it did. Oh, Paul. <laughs> so, so now, if he's walking and his pen falls, I, I can pick it up for him. And he'll just say, oh, thank you. And he says, thank you, because he could have done it himself. Are you getting this? He could have done it himself. But by my doing it, I will just be nice. And so, oh, that's kind of you. Thank you. But it's a different thing if he's in a pit that is too high for him to climb out of. And he has been there for days. No food, no water. He has tried, you know, he had raised his voice to see if anyone was passing who could help. Have you ever been, have you ever felt helpless before? It's a very bad thing that no one knows I'm here. And he's there. Then all of a sudden, someone comes, stretches a rope. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Do you know how liberated you will feel? That's salvation. Thank you very much. That's salvation. Let me tell you something. You have to see it the way God saw it. God is very finicky about this salvation thing. See, that's the central theme of the entire Bible. It must be a big deal. When you read the Bible and you see all that, you know, especially when you see the drama in Revelations 5, you know, someone said, who is worthy to open the book and to read the scrolls thereof? And he says, I wept. I wept so. Because no one was found in heaven and earth who was worthy to open this book, open the seals, and to read what is therein. And then a voice came, weep not. He says, the lion of the tribe of Judah has prevailed. He said, I saw a lamb slain. So when you read that, see, you, you know, it, it changes your perception of value for this thing. That This thing must be important. And can I tell you something? When you want to give someone something, someone you love, your joy is in the person's appreciation of that gift. Isn't that true? This is very important. So, I mean, you're literally many times waiting to see the person's expression. So imagine when you give someone something, the person, ah, you shouldn't have. Ah. <laughs> have, you, have you ever bought something for someone and you just couldn't wait? In fact, maybe the person's birthday is in 10 days, you bought it 10 days early, and you know, it's just almost very difficult and impossible to wait 10 days. <laughs> you're seeing the person every day and you're like, mm. <laughs> you don't know. Listen, that's the kind of expectation God has. Look at Ephesians chapter 2 verse 7. You know, you read verse 8. By grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourself. Look at verse 7. 
you know what he said in verse 7 he says that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in christ jesus he said god was showing off he was making an everlasting statement in christ and his redemption that ah when they see what i've done ah this is going to change the definition of kindness the definition of love the def they will never doubt my love again he said that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches so you don't just say oh thank you oh that was nice jesus died for me why okay so i have eternal life oh mad job. That's not the response he's expecting. He said he called it exceeding riches of grace in kindness. It's meant to mesmerize you. It's meant to, you know, leave you on the floor crying. You know, every day you wake up with a strong sense of appreciation. John said unto him that loved me and washed my sins with his own blood. You know, that's a deep statement. With his own blood. You, you, you know, there is a type of response you must have. Can I tell you something? That response comes by revelation. It's a work of the Spirit. It's a work of the Spirit. You know, in John chapter 8, Jesus was talking to some people in verse 31. And he says, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. You know what they said? We've never been in bondage. This was, look at it. He said, we are Abraham's descendants. We have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say we shall be made free? I'm telling you, one of the most crucial aspects of this grace message, of this gospel, is understanding and discerning the necessity of this salvation. First and foremost, how necessary, how hopeless and helpless was I? First and foremost. So he's telling them they shall be made free and they say, uh, we're not in bondage. They had, they, they had no sense for the need of what he was offering. And you know what he said? He said, anyone who sins is a servant of sin. So it's this sin problem, it's a problem. And that's what I'm here to fix. You know, we live in a generation that is so fickle, so petty. Our only definition of the might of God and his necessity in our lives is if he provides, if he heals. And so in a year like this, where there was COVID, you know, a year like this where Black Lives Matter, Lekki Massacre, you heard so many people saying, I don't know if there's a God, if there's a God. Why will all this happen? Because as far as they are concerned, they feel that, yeah, and God heals and God provides. I've talked about this so many times. That's not what I'm talking about. But they don't even see that there is a greater, more fundamental problem for humanity that God has solved. Let me tell you something controversial. In Jesus' day, Jesus did not sorrow. Okay. Are you aware? 
It annoyed people. They come to you and they ask you a clear question. Should we pay taxes? Listen, the people are overburdened by taxes. They are Jews being colonized by the Roman Empire. And you are the Messiah. Seeing the oppression of the people. Are you not going to do something about it? Talk! In fact, you see, the Roman Empire, you know, some, some of the Hebrew Jewish leaders as well, they're already talking about you that, hmm, this guy, he's following. Are you sure he will not lead the political revolution? They're already watching you. You have the influence. You fed people. They wanted to make you king. This is why Herod tried to kill him. Because, you see, wise men from the east, they were evil guys. No, they were not. I'm just joking. You know, they came and they said, where is he that should be born king of the Jews? Herod was troubled. Is someone going to overthrow me? So there was that potential political undertone. If he just said, you know what? Let's form a party. That, was, that would be all. And he says, give me the coin. Whose face is in it? Give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and to God what belongs to God. I bet you many people were not satisfied with that. And then he comes. Three and a half years of ministry dies, rises again. You know, the, the disciples are watching like, are you really not going to talk about this? And then he, he, you know, in his resurrection, he fellowships with them. And then acts one. They ask him, it must have been a burning question in their hearts. Like, where will the kingdom be restored to the Jews? You know what Jesus replied? He said, it is not your business to know the times and the seasons that God has in his hand. But you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me. Meaning, see, we have a predominant priority. You know, the world, because they don't understand the value of what we offer, that's why they judge in terms of welfare. What is the church doing? And yes, the church should be generous. I stand for that 100%. But that's not the crux. That's not why we exist. That's not why we exist. You need to understand this. I believe that we should do the best we can do for our nation. I believe that. But the church of Jesus Christ is not a political party. That's what I'm trying to tell you. And if you understand the gravity of what Christ has done, you will say, ah, you know what, sir? We are brilliant minds. We, we read law in school. We will take care of politics. The people leading us, I didn't know people like us, leave us. Just focus on this salvation. Do the one that we cannot do for ourselves. Which is what he has done. Are you getting me? You have to have a proper... The people who truly understand grace are the people who reckon that they were truly hopeless without Christ. Jesus said, this is the first sermon Jesus ever preached. The first public statement, you know, preaching, recorded. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Matthew chapter 5 verse 3. Blessed are those who have a sense of insufficiency in themselves. Who have recognized their need for salvation. 
who truly know that without me they can do nothing. Blessed are they, poor in spirit. It says, this is the kingdom of heaven. These are the people that own this salvation provision. There must be a sense of a soulish poverty, a sense, you know, you must come to a point of hopelessness, a realization of hopelessness. Salvation is God's sovereign intervention to the utter hopelessness of man. That's what it is. The utter hopelessness of man and God's sovereign intervention. If you just receive and believe the sovereign intervention, but you don't see the utter hopelessness, you are not going to appreciate that gift as you should. That's what I'm trying to tell you. To highlight this, Jesus himself tells a story. In Luke chapter 18 from verse 9, he said two men went to the temple, one of them a publican, the other a Pharisee. The Pharisee went there saying things that, you know, an educate, uneducated person would think God will like. Oh God, you know I fast twice a week. I don't fail in my tithing. You know, I just want to thank you. You can see all I'm doing. And the other guy, the Bible says, will not so much as lift up his head. He bows his head down, smooths his breast, and says, God be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said, the publican went home justified rather than the other. It says, for he that exalts himself, God calls boasting in your sufficiency, he calls it pride. You might think it's Thanksgiving. You know, every girl knows that one guy who thinks he's cool but is a jerk. And he's doing things, he thinks you like it. And you don't, he doesn't know that in your mind you want to slap him. That's how many Christians are. So boastful, so proud. And they feel, you know, oh God, I thank you. I'm, I'm really trying. Like, the funny thing is, you may not even say it out. But you know, there is a sense of confidence you have when you assess yourself and say, I tried today. And the other person, you know, doesn't even look up. He looks down. You know, people don't come to the temple in those days without sacrifice. So instead of looking up, trusting in himself, he looked down at his sacrifice. Trusting in the system of substitutionary atonement. Are you getting what I'm saying? So he looked, that's figurative of his trust in Christ instead. God be merciful. You said you were going to accept this sacrifice. I don't qualify, but you have a provision. Be merciful unto me. It says that's the person who is justified. So, the truth is, you can feel hopeless at the beginning. When you receive the salvation, like the church at Galatia, you now want to continue by works. But do you know what? Listen, what I'm about to show you. 
is that we must have this continuous gratitude that 30 years after and 30 years in Christ, I still can't believe you did this for me. I still can't believe it. I have access to you. You know, I can function with your name. I can proclaim your name. After all I've done, the world has, you know, assessments of who is sinner is, an armed robber, you know, a pedophile, you know, and maybe an adulterer. But, he, but you need to understand who you're dealing with. He says, he that looks at a woman lustfully is guilty of adultery. Now, in your mind, you might be like, Alpha, now, calm down. And that's the truth. We have a propensity to minimize the magnitude of our insufficiency. You get what I'm saying? But guess what? God is more glorified in his redemptive work when we reckon how truly helpless we were. Do you get the point? And let me tell you something. You can be a Christian and not really know what I'm saying. If you know what I'm saying, it will affect your prayer life. And for the main reason I'm here, I'm going to talk about this much later as I round off. It will also affect the way you treat people. But let me not get ahead of myself. So, there are two witnesses, all right, that we need salvation. There is something called moral law. Paul says, such a brilliant man. He said, the invisible things about God from the creation of the world are clearly seen so that man is without excuse. And so he says, even if no one ever told you, hey, there is a God, or there is God, you know, or God never appeared to you and said, there is God and I am him, you know, I am that I am. He says, the intelligence in the design of the earth is proof that there is an intelligent designer. He says, the invisible things about God from the foundation of the earth are clearly seen in the things that he has made so that man is without excuse. Have you noticed, check every civilization known to man, every people group known to man, even places where the gospel has not yet been, penetrated. You see, there is that sense, most times that there is a God. You will just find them having religious activity even though, of course, almost 100% of the time, they get it wrong. And in fact, the devil will often take advantage of their ignorance and reveal himself and they'll find themselves doing rubbish practices. But think about Athens. No one had preached to them, alright, but guess what? Paul went there to find the inscription in their temple, the unknown God. We don't know his name. He has not revealed himself to us, but we know he's there. Are you getting this? No one needs to tell you, oh, killing is wrong. There is an internal compass in every man. It's called the moral law that guides us to understand what is right or wrong. Have you noticed that? So there is an internal compass in everyone witnessing what is right or wrong. So every person, no matter your tribe, no matter your religion, we agree. There's a unanimous agreement, all right, that rape is wrong. Pedophilia is wrong. You don't have to be a Christian to know that. And the question is why? 
How do we know? There's an internal compass. And that's one of the points against atheism. Because an atheist is, is left hanging. Because if we are all the product of a cosmic accident, there was just a big explosion, bah, and everything came to be. If you hold evolution as your worldview, then how can we justify the concept of right or wrong? It becomes subjective. If there is a moral law, there must be a moral law giver. Do you understand what I just said? But, well, we all have a moral law. And so, um, Paul says to the Gentile church and everyone who didn't have the law, he says, the righteousness of God is revealed against all iniquity. He says, even though they knew God, they didn't honor him. And so he gave them up to a reprobate mind. Yeah, no one gave you the book of Psalms. No one gave you the Torah, but you knew there was a God. And you knew enough to at least honor him the little way you, you could. Are you getting what I'm saying? And then in chapter 2, he faces the Jews. And he says, you who knows what is right, you who has the law and you're teaching others, will you not teach yourself? He said, you're guilty too. Very brilliant. Then he comes to chapter 3. And he says, there is none righteous. No, not one. Meaning Jews and Gentiles. He says, we are all sold under sin. All sold under sin. We all need this salvation. So I mentioned two things that reveal our need for salvation. The first I said is the moral law. And then the second is the law of Moses. A lot of people don't understand why the law of Moses was given. They don't understand. An average person, you ask them, why was the law given? And said, God was revealing right or wrong. Really? You think people did not know that thou shalt not kill until God said so. Let me tell you something. The moral law existed before any law. Before any civilization came up with, you know, a legal structure to hold people accountable, there was a moral law. Before the law of Moses came, there was a moral law. And guess what? When Adam sinned, even though he was the first person to do it, obviously, there was no precedence. When he heard the voice of God, he hid himself. He hid himself. Because there was something in him that told him he had done the wrong thing. So check the history of hematology, the study of sin. You will discover that moral law always guided people. Joseph did not have the law of Moses. He, he lived before Moses. But when Potiphar's wife said, lie with me, he said, my master has been good to me. He has put everything under my authority. He said, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? He knew what sin was. Even though there was no law. Are you with me? Even pagan kings knew. When God appeared to the pagan king Abimelech to say you are with another man's wife, he said, I didn't know. He lied that he's his sister. He returned her immediately. So he knew right and wrong. They all knew. Cain was the first person to commit murder. No one had done it before him. Yet when God asked him, where is your brother? He said, am I my brother's keeper? He entered into swift defense mode. That's where it all started. 
He knew he had done the wrong thing. The question then is, why then was the law given? And the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9, amongst many other texts that I will share with you. He called the law the ministry of condemnation. That's what it, that was what it administered. The Greek word translated um, ministry is um, like a nursing term. The way you administer drugs to people. It says that's what the law produced. Condemnation. The only righteousness that was revealed by the law is the righteousness of God. You know, God does not tolerate murder. He doesn't tolerate covetousness. He doesn't, you know, but um, you, in trying to keep the law, you discover there is one God and you are not him. It revealed and exposed your insufficiency. And so, Paul said, I was alive once. But when the law came, sin revived. Are you with me? He said, sin revived and I died. Look at this. Turn the Bible Romans 7. Let me read that to you. I don't want to go too much into that too because we still have a lot to cover. Are you learning anything? Yes, sir. So verse 22 of Romans 7. He says, for in my inner being, I delight in God's law. Meaning I know it is good. This is good. I want to do this. In my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work. I see another law at work in me. So the law of Moses revealed an already existing law in people. I see another law in me waging war against the law of my mind and bringing me a, making me a prisoner to the law of sin which is at work within me. He says, so there is the law of Moses. I know it in my mind. I've memorized it. Thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. But there is another law, another principle. Oh my goodness. That renders what I know in my head useless such that I know what I ought to do and I really want to do it, but I cannot do it. And this is what the law produces. This confession recorded in verse 24. I want you to put verse 24 and I want everyone to read it together loud as you can. One, two, go. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? This is the, con this is the conclusion of a man who has tried righteousness by the law. He sees his wretchedness. Let me tell you something. If you never saw wretchedness in yourself, in your efforts, you won't really appreciate grace. It, grace will just be an option. Like, oh, you gave me a wristwatch. I already have one. Ah, nice. Thank you. So on Monday, I wear color brown. On Tuesday, I wear color black. It's not an option that I could have done it by myself, but well, um, you gave me an option. So, ah, thank you. That's nice. Until you see wretchedness, helplessness, you cannot really value what he has given. Especially in a culture where we like to play church. Many of you sitting here, you have many struggles, many struggles. And you come here with your Sunday best and you just play the part. Act normal. 
there should be an appreciation in the entire body of Christ. The oldest believer to the youngest believer, we are all, you know, what? In ourselves, wretched. There is none righteous. In your own efforts, no, not one. We all need the gifts and the provision of salvation in Christ. Say amen if you believe that. And this will affect, like I said, what you say. You know, Paul was a good example of this. Even many years after his conversion, after he had done great for God, you know, that sense of where he was coming from was still strong on him. He said, I'm, I'm the least of apostles because I persecuted the church of Jesus Christ. I'm the least. Despite all his efforts, he called himself the least. And don't tell me he doesn't understand grace. It's just a sense, it's, it's almost like, if not for his revelation knowledge of forgiveness, he almost could never get over it. Look, look at what I've done. I'm the least of apostles. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. We're getting closer to the main point of the day now, so pay attention. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. Listen, I want you to pay attention. This is so powerful. Oh, glory to God. Read it together. One, two, go. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am what? Meaning I'm the ringleader. So, yes, I know who I am by grace, but if for a moment you will see me any other way, he used present tense. He didn't say I was. He said I am. By personal qualification and personal merit. You know what? He says, this, this, is, this is a faithful saying. Accept it as I tell you. Christ came into the world to save sinners. He said, I am chief. Do you know there is something about us, even though you know grace, there is still a secret sense of, well, at least I'm not doing as bad as that guy. If you're not careful, you know, that secondary school behavior where um, you were disappointed you had 60%. Oh, I wrote this thing well now. Why didn't they give me 80%? But then other scripts begin to come. And Deji, the best in the class, had 50. In your mind, you know, you just calm down. There is something about the failure of others that pacifies us. You know what I'm saying. And so, we, we feed off the inadequacies of other people without knowing. So this is what I'm saying. When the Bible warns you that in the last days, many people will be ever learning, never able to come to the point of truth. Don't say, ah, those people, why would they do that? You just might be like that. That you, you see, you don't understand how grace shapes your life, shapes your relationships, in, and guides your application. That's wisdom. That's the difference between wisdom and knowledge. Until you can see 
how you ought to see others in grace, not just how you see yourself. It's easy to say, oh, he loves me, he loves me, he loves me. And there is something about us, this self-deceit that makes us think we are more special than everyone else. He loves me, he loves me, he loves me. And it's still so hard to reciprocate. Let me give you a typical example. The Bible tells us that a woman was caught in the bed of adultery and was brought to Jesus. And Jesus bent down, pretended to write something, you know, and there's a historical context to that. According to history, the pavement of that place was stone. And he was writing there to say, you know what? It was my fingers on that tablet of stone. So I know what you're saying. But there is something else you don't know. He said, he that is without sin, let him cast the first stone. And guess what? All of them, one after the others, drop, uh, one after the other, drop their stones and walked away. And now, you want to wonder, what is it about people that despite their own imperfection, will pick up stones ready to judge instantly and kill someone else knowing that they are also guilty. This is the bane of religion. This is the bane of, and that's why he called them hypocrites. Do you know you can be so high on grace? Now, there's someone I love very much, and I'm saying this because, can I tell you something? I'm, I'm a teacher. And so when I see people acting in ignorance, I'm not angry. That's why I'm there. But I was having a conversation with someone, you know, I was praying and I saw in a vision, you know, some, that he was struggling in his devotional life. So out of the blues, I just called him and I said, how are you? I said, I called you because I sense you're having this. He said, pastor, it's been a struggle. I won't lie to you. You know, my line of work, this, 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 that, that. And then he just admitted some struggles he was having, some inconsistencies in his life. And then, before the end of the conversation, he now said, Pastor, in fact, I've been meaning to tell you this. You see, there is this um, guy who always forms Spiricoco, you know. Uh, I have learned a lot from him, you know. But I heard he did this and did that and did that. And every time I see him maybe post something or do something, I'm just annoyed. <laughs> so, in the same conversation, he says, Pastor, I'm struggling, I'm doing this, I'm doing this. See this guy. Can you see a problem? That's what we are here to talk about. Because one of the fundamental principles of grace is that until you reciprocate it, it is not efficacious in your own life. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give, the, give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we what? As we forgive, it is... Are you there? So, you cannot receive the generous, lavish forgiveness of God and refuse to reciprocate it. Let me tell you something. The church is very strong against people who are openly or repentantly in sin. That's a different subject. 
a different subject entirely. So there was a guy, you know, who had open moral failings, failures in the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians 5. And Paul used strong statements. He says, deliver such a one to Satan, meaning kick him out of the church. He doesn't belong here. He's not acting like he has been saved. He says, any such person, don't even eat with such a person. He was strong on that. But there is something about us. Do you know, now I'm speaking as someone who has, you may not see it yet, who has a privilege, and I'm saying this with buckling knees, but it's true. I tell the truth under God. Who has a privilege to be able to speak once in a while to the body of Christ. I'm not just saying this about you guys. Guys, we don't forgive. You know it's true. Even little things, you know, maybe you see a divorcee or something. There's a way we look at the person. You know, and then you can confess, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. I'm the, but, you know, other people, it's just like a uh, forehand. Look, look at him. In fact, maybe he's by your side in church worshiping, and you're like, hmm? <laughs> Hallelujah. And Jesus has the audacity to say, He who is without sin, cast the first stone. And when everyone goes, he walks up to the woman. He says, woman, where are your accusers? He says, there no more. He says, I don't accuse you either. Go and sin no more. Do you embrace the wisdom of Jesus? Did he make a mistake that day? You're sure? Let that shape your mind forever. Because many times, we try to judge people by their past. And God will always see people by their confession. Are you getting what I'm saying? So when God tells Ananias, go to Saul, lay hands on him that he may receive his side. He complains, he revolts. Eh? Saul who? Have you not heard? They say you're all-knowing, but have you not heard all that he has done to the church? And God corrects him. He says he's a choice vessel. Choice. This is, so this is his reputation, but this is how I see him. Do you know, after Saul's conversion, he was running away from believers. I mean believers. Go and read your Bible. He had to run away. They had to help him escape from believers. Are you getting this now? So there's a story that I've read to you many times. We will read it, share one or two thoughts. We'll pray. And then we go. I just decided to give you something light for this night. So that we'll, we'll, we'll be stepping it up. Hallelujah. So come ready tomorrow. Amen. Amen. Tomorrow evening I'm going to teach on something I've never taught since this church started. 
which interestingly is one of the things I happen to know a lot about. I'm going to teach you on the ministry of angels. Hallelujah. And a lot of positive, strange things will happen. Mark my words. Hallelujah. Say thank you, Jesus. But let's focus on this one. So can I tell you something? You have to be, we- be weary lest you go the way of the Pharisees where Jesus tells the parable of the good Samaritan. Someone had been beaten by robbers, looted, you know, and he's just there helpless on the road. And clergymen are passing and don't help. They were coming from church and they did not help. Because can I tell you something? They don't see a connection between their devotion and their lifestyle. You can be so churchy and yet so ineffective. You know, there was a crusade I heard about. Everywhere inside, you know, the stadium was full. So, um, there was an overflow out there. But you know Nigerians, over what? It's as if, you know, God did not touch me from there. So, the ushers were trying to say, you can't go in, you can't go in, no space. And one guy just decked the usher. True story, gave him a punch in the face, and ran inside and joined the worship. That's what we're dealing with. So maybe you're here today and you've been singing, Your grace has found me just as I am. And there are still people you have not forgiven. You have not forgiven. You have not let them go. So, lest you become ever learning, never able to come to the point of truth, we need to talk about this. That, ah, no matter how many Greek words on soteriology you know, If you cannot reciprocate it, you are still level one. Primary one. So in Luke chapter 18, I I beg your pardon, Matthew chapter 18, Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is likened unto a certain man. So so he's saying the kingdom of heaven meaning, now what do we see every day? This is what we see every day. The kingdom of heaven is like a king who told his servants to take account. You know, and he had begun to reckon, verse 23 and 24, one brought unto him which owed him 10,000 talents. Just in case, you see, when you read this, you might not really understand the gravity of what he's saying because you have not calculated it in present day money. So let me calculate it for you. It is $15 million. Especially with the current exchange rates. You just know. So he owed $15 million. That's 10,000 talents. 
And in those days, you know, <laughs> if you can't pay prison, it still happens today. <laughs> and then he begged. He said, please, sir, I will pay you. You, you know, he wasn't even asking for mercy. He just said, just give me more time, I will pay. And the master, the Bible says, forgave him his debts. Think about it. You were owing $15 million. Someone do the math quickly. How much is 7.5 billion naira? You are owing 7.5 billion. Pay attention. And then the person owing you says, don't worry. Uh, Hey, my God. Now, that's a picture of the gospel, but, you know, and many people just stop there. Oh, I was owing, he, he paid a debt, I did not owe, I owed a debt, I did not pay, you know? You know, you are, you are singing that. But that's just one part of the story. He said, this guy, on his way home, He found another person that was owing him $16. See, you will not understand the gravity of the illustration until you understand it in current currency. So you were owing $15 million and you were forgiving. And then someone was owing $16. Thank you. And then the person begged you, please, I will pay. I will pay. You said, no. And you got him arrested. When the king heard, he said, what? What? And can I tell you something? Many of you are making the same mistake right now. Because there is something, you know, it reminds me of when um, David had sinned. And the prophet came to him, and he gave the same illustration. He said, one man had, you know, an entire livestock. Another man, you know, was so poor, he had only one eel. And the rich man went to take the only livestock that this other guy had. David got up, said, who is the person? How will he do such a thing? Show me the person. And prophet Nathan said, that's you. And so when I'm telling you this story, someone owed $50 million and he refused to forgive someone that owed $16. You're like, ah, why will he do that? I'm hearing ahs, oohs. Hey, brother, sister, we're talking about you. If you will not forgive someone, that's the comparison. He's telling you God has forgiven you much more. That whatever, any, whatever the debt anyone owes you, it's infinitesimally insignificant compared to what, how God forgave you. And now he's saying, there is a demand on the grace you have received. You must reciprocate it. You, you don't even have a choice. You don't even have a choice. Hallelujah. You have not understood it if you can't share it. Because you see, grace is not just to be received. It is to be emulated. 
It is not just a provision, a free gift to receive. It is a lesson to emulate. So listen, in salvation we say, oh, I was a sinner and God sent his son. He took on human flesh. He died my death. He rose again. Glory to God. You know, and we, we, we talk about, you know, all those staring words. You know, propitiation, mercy, you know, and you're jumping. And now you come to the responsibility part. In Philippians 2.5, it says, let this mind be in you. So listen, it is not just a provision and a gift. It's a mindset to imbibe. Are you getting this? Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ. Who though in very essence was God and thought it not robbery to be equal with God, he humbled himself, took on the form of a servant, was obedient even to the death of the cross. It says, God also has highly exalted him. Meaning, listen, there is a reward with God. You don't have to gain your reward on people that you did me, I will do you back. Some of you, until you, until you do your own back, you're not satisfied. Allow God vindicate you. They lied against you. All right? Let it go. Don't lose your sleep about it. Don't lose your mind about it. Like I said yesterday, some have become so petty. You know, you block someone, you now open a burner account and be monitoring the person. That's first stage of madness. <laughs> Listen, when you embrace the forgiveness that is in Christ, it will give you peace. You have peace of mind. You will stop silly hashtags and captions. Haters, you know, to the haters, you know. You're always talking to the haters. As if, are you a hip-hop artist? Is it, uh, they try to bury us. They didn't know we are seed. You know. They try to drown us. They didn't know we are Gary. We rise. Do you know, do you know how childish you sound? <laughs> Hallelujah. So you can be a tongue-speaking Christian who doesn't talk to daddy. I'm hitting it home now, right? Tongue-speaking Christian who doesn't talk to mommy. So God is saying, if the knowledge that you have does not reach those areas, you are a hypocrite. Let me tell you something. It's hard though. It's hard. It's hard. It's easier said than done. Hallelujah. But you don't have a choice. You, don't, you no longer forgive because people deserve it. You forgive because Christ forgave you. This is important. Say, I refuse to be unforgiving. I walk in forgiveness. Hallelujah. Say, I treat others with grace. Say, I'm merciful. I'm patient. I'm kind. I'm slow to anger. Somebody needs to confess that one more. Say, I'm slow to anger. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Say it again. Say, I'm slow to anger. Let this mind 
be in you, which was also in Christ. So that's what we're talking about, true impacts. And then for, for part one, the true impact of the gospel. So that your walk with God will not be seven kilometers wide and half an inch thick. No depth. No originality. You're going to practice. I, I get what I'm saying. You practice it. And listen, as an apostle, <laughs> wait, oh, wait, oh. What if I wanted to quote Paul? Pay attention to this. Let me show you something. Turn your Bibles, 2 Corinthians 2. Thank you, Jesus. Verse 11. Let's start from verse 10. Let me tell you something. There are at least two people here. If you will practice this, you will be healed instantly. I'm telling you. Mark my words. That you don't need anyone to lay hands on you. You just need to forgive. Because there are some things that are an inroad to the devil and you don't even know. See from verse 10, it says, To whom you forgive anything, I forgive also. For I forgave anything to whom I forgave it. For your sakes, forgive I it in the person of Christ. Everybody read verse 11 together. One, two, go. Lest Satan should get an advantage on us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. He said, if you don't forgive, if you don't walk in forgiveness, you give Satan an advantage. An unforgiving church will be the advantage of Satan. Mark my words. Can I tell you something? We need to learn this for the future. You will need this. You will need this. So when, oh my goodness, I'm teaching you discernment and spiritual warfare. So when two people are quarreling, stand up please. When two people are quarreling, many times in judging matters, our preoccupation is who is right. So what did you say? What happened? Tell me. Say, I, I, I did this, I did that. Ah, ah. Hmm. So he did that to you? What was your own side of the story? You talk, 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 talk. Then we are trying to judge who is right or wrong. Many times we don't move on until someone accepts wrong. But, but through the eyes of discernment, we must also consider something else. That many times, whilst you are in that squabble, the devil is taking advantage of that. Especially when, you know, nobody can agree. Have you argued with someone and you know, no agree? If you don't know what I'm saying, you are not married. <laughs> I say you are wrong. Mm -mm. You are wrong. Okay, let's move on. There are some, there are some quarrels you don't solve. 
just move on. Have you eaten, Jerry? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying that's what happened. I mean, me, man of God, quarrel. You know the grace of my life. <laughs> but can I tell you something? Sometimes look away from the subject of discussion and see what Satan is doing. And because of what Satan is trying to do, you know, you guys say, ah, 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 ah. you know what? In fact, I'm at fault. <laughs> Sometimes you just say, you know what? Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Let's move on. He said, lest Satan should have the advantage. Thank you. That's so important. So, there is a third person to consider. Not, ah, he wronged me. I wronged him. You know, Satan. He says, we are not ignorant of his devices. I mean, look at it. Look at how the devil has taken advantage of the heart of others to affect you. You young lady listening to me, now you are suffering depression just because you have refused to let go. You want to hold on to you know, what the person has done. Now it has affected you. And I'm telling you prophetically, let go for your own good. And let Jesus heal you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for your lavish, generous gift. Your word says that in the ages to come, you might show the exceeding riches of your grace and your kindness towards us in Christ. We recognize the magnitude of your gifts. And we thank you. We respond with gratitude. And we say glory to the Lamb who was slain to receive glory and honor and power and might and dominion and riches. And he has purchased men for God. We thank you, Father. We stand by faith in what you've done, complete in what you've done. And we reciprocate this grace, this kindness. There is a grace and ease in the house for forgiveness. By the fruit of the Spirit, the evidence of the Spirit's influence, we are aided concerning forgiveness. Aided. 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 So that your spirit can flow freely. Aided. Thank you, Father. Say this with me. Say, my heart is free. Say, I have no heart against any man. Say, there's no one I'm holding to heart. Hallelujah. Say, I follow peace with all men. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Well, were you blessed? Give the Lord a shout of praise. Hallelujah. Thank you for listening. We are sure that you have been blessed. For inquiries, reach us on our helpline 0809-996-7000 Blessings